0: You're listening to audio from the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regenerate, visit rivercitychurch.us. I guess that's, that's my fault. Um, uh, again, I'm Sam Maines, the College Ministry Director at River City Church. And uh, I love Scripture. Does anybody else here love the Bible? Um, and some of you guys are like, I'm mystified by the Bible, or I like the Bible, or I'm interested in the Bible, or I wonder what the Bible means. But do you love it? Do you love the word? Do you actually love this? Does this actually impact you? Does it change the way that you think? Does it change the way that you act? My hope is that by the end of tonight, you will see that even what seems to be something plain or even mundane on the surface is actually something where God could be speaking something really deep, really personal, and really powerful to us. So everybody turn to the book of Judges. We're going to be in chapter 12. And we're going to, just going to be looking at verses 8 through 15. So just that last section of Judges 12. So Judges has been an interesting book. How many of you guys have enjoyed the book of Judges this semester? Yes? Awesome. That's cool. Um, and also I want to remind you guys too, we do, we do have a podcast available wherever you, po- wherever you get your podcasts. We record each of these sermons. We post them. So if you want to go back and... Listen to it again, or or show it to a friend, or whatever. Then you can go ahead and do that. The regenerate podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. But we're gonna be um, we're gonna be learning about three different judges, not one, not two, not four, but three judges um, in Israel's history. Now, remember, we're talking about ancient Israel's history, and the reason this section of history is recorded in the Bible, the reason that the Book of Judges is important, is because God was at work at the time. He was at work through the people of Israel. Uh, and he's sanctifying them, he's shaping them into the people he wants them to be so that he can deliver a promise that he gave to their ancestor Abraham. He told Abraham, I'm going to bless the entire world through your offspring. So he's bringing them through this process and in relationship with these people, God the Father is changing and, and molding them into, uh, into the kind of people who are prepared for the Messiah. And it's that's that's what everything is leading up to. And so every image that you see in Judges uh, of a good leader, every image that you see of uh, of God's love is actually just a precursor to God's son showing up sometime later. Over uh, we're talking like hundreds of years later. And last week you learned about Jephthah. You guys remember remember Jephthah last week. We learned about how, you know, he's mentioned in Hebrews eleven as a hero of the Christian faith, which was really weird because when you read his story at first you think, Oh my gosh, he sacrificed his own kid. Like that's awful, right? But we learned about what a whole sacrifice is. And it's not necessarily putting your kid on an altar to burn him. But it actually is about giving them up to God and his purposes and offering their life as a whole offering. And we learned actually that Jephthah was neither killer. Uh, nor fool. He was actually a hero in God's eyes, and that's why he's celebrated as such in Hebrews 11. Uh, but tonight we're going to be uh, uh, in our series rebel, repent, and repeat. Everybody say rebel. rebel. Everybody say repent. <laughs> Everybody say repeat. repeat. That's the book of Judges. As, in, as we go through this, what you're going to see is some leadership. Somebody say leadership. leadership. Now leadership is a buzzword. It's very cool. A lot of people like leadership. Yeah, there's, there's conferences for leadership, there's there's uh, books on leadership. Has anybody ever read a leadership book? I did. I suffered through it, and I I, I can't do it. I, I realize I'm I'm not one of those people. I'm not like I get so jazzed about leadership and stuff, and I'm just like I don't I don't know. I think I feel a little bit like my grand oh, grandpa. He was uh, my my grandfather was a um, uh, he was a, he, an executive for the Western Branch of Whirlpool. You know Whirlpool, the company that they uh, appliance company, so like your washer, dryer, that kind. of So he used to run, like, the entire Western United States branch of that company. And uh, so, and he was famous, though, at his staff meetings. He would say, my Grandpa Walter, he would say, uh, people would say, hey, well, i got this idea. And then they would, like, talk to him about it. And he'd say, well, just do it. He'd say, well, don't don't talk to me about it. Just do it. And so when Nike came out with that phrase, just do it, you've seen the, the Nike stuff, that all I guess everybody on his staff showed up at a staff meeting with one of those uh, T shirts on, and he thought it was pretty hilarious, so just do it, just do it, so I've never want to be like, "Oh my gosh, leadership leadership i 'm more like i don 't want to talk about it I, like if you want to be a leader, cool, just do it and tonight we 're going to be learning about some people who just did it, and their stories are short and they might even seemingly be insignificant, but we need to recognize what second Timothy three sixteen says, which is that all scripture, including this, is God breathe and it is profitable for us. Every word that is written in scripture is profitable for you. It will build up your strength in your spirit. It will speak to you. It will be God's way of communicating with you and it is something that's going to encourage you in your walk with him. So uh, let's talk a little bit about leadership. First, we're going to let's stand as we read Judges chapter 12 verses 8 through 15. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. But, of course, you can read out of, uh, there's several good translations out there. But this is what we're reading from tonight. So this is uh, after Jephthah's time, and it says this, uh, verse 8. And actually, you guys, if you guys could read along with me, let's all read together. Ready? And if you stumble on a name, just kind of go, um, because, <laughs> like a, or just say, you know, Luke Skywalker or something. Anyway, <laughs> um, Judges chapter 12, verse, starting at verse 8, 3, two, 1, go. After him, Ibsen of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters he gave in marriage outside his clan and 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then Ibsen died and was buried at Bethlehem. After him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel, and he judged Israel ten years. Then Elon the Zebulunite died and was buried at Eichelon in the land of Zebulun. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathenite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathenite, died and was buried at Parathon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. This is God's word. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room tonight to speak to us. We're ready to hear we're ready to be changed. We're ready to experience you. So God, let this word sink deep into our hearts. Teach us, Lord, through this, about what leadership looks like from your perspective versus ours. God, we pray that, the, that the, these uh, people who are listed here, that their lives would not go unnoticed, that the words of scripture would not go unnoticed by us, but rather that they would impact us, God. And let us not be hearers of the word only, and so deceive ourselves, but let us be doers of the Word, as it says in James. So God, I give you my voice tonight. I give you my thoughts, my feelings. God, let my let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer. And everybody who trusts in Jesus said, Amen. Have a seat. Amen. So, uh, it's been interesting. In the book of Judges, you'll notice that some stories are longer than others, right? And uh, the book of Judges actually... Uh, what's, what's interesting is we, we learn that there's actually six what we call minor judges in the book of Judges uh, and according to the Lexington Bible Dictionary, the minor judges mentioned the book of Judges uh, their own, that's, that title is only indicative of the brevity of their appearance in the biblical narrative it's not that they weren't important, it's not that they didn't do great things it's just that their story was like this long now, now you might think, wow, they must not have been that important. But honestly, if I ever made it into the Bible, like, I would feel pretty dang... If I made it into a genealogy, I would be pretty psyched about that. Just to have your name in there. Now, people are going to read for thousands of years. Of course, I know, who knows if these people are actually even aware of that. But um, what's interesting, though, is there's... Now, when we look at this, and at first glance, you might look at this and just go, well, these are three random dudes who led Israel. But actually, when we look at it and you compare it, especially you compare it to the previous stories we've read, we read about Ehud, we read about Gideon, you know, we read about Deborah and Barak and and Jael and all them. When you read those stories and you compare it to this, there's some very, very important things to take note of. And uh, so I got three points tonight, and it's going to be pretty brief. And then we're just going to discuss things. And the first point is this. um, We need God's leadership, even and perhaps especially in peaceful times. You need God's leadership in peaceful times. So, the people of Israel needed judges. And they were, at the time, a theocracy. Everybody say theocracy. Theocracy. Theocracy, That's where God was ruling over the nation. And the design for the nation of Israel, the design of their governance was based around the priesthood and the design of their nation. And when you look at Exodus, when you look at Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and you see how God designed their society to function, it was actually designed with Him at the center, the worship of Yahweh at the very center of society and everything else orbited around it. But what's interesting is they constantly forgot about that. How many times in our lives do we we just kind of like forget about the fact that, oh yeah, God's at the middle of my life. Like God is the central bank. God is the Capitol building. God is the Supreme Court of my life. God is everything. Everything that my, the society of my life operates around should be God. But it doesn't always work out that way, right? So, but the thing, interesting thing is this. We need God's leadership in, even in peaceful times. Cause, and the reason I mention that is this. There's no mention of warfare. You ever notice that? And every other passage about judges, there's always like, and then the somethingites came, then the parasites came, and you're like, oh my god, they got sick, you know? And the, like, the parasites came, and then they had to fight against them, and then the Midianites came, or the Amalekites, or the Moabites, or some ite, you know? The termites came and attacked them, and you're like, oh, we need a judge to rise up and fight, and it's always like this bloody battle, and then they won, and then they kill like a million people with some weird instrument, with like they took a, uh, you know. Uh, they took a fire poker and he killed like eighty people with it. You're like, whoa, um, that's kind of like a, a typical story of judges. But these judges, nothing happens. Nothing happens, right? There's peace, which is which shows me something shows, shows us something important, right? That we need God's leadership even even in peaceful times. I think it's really easy in our lives to just when things are peaceful, when things are calm. When things, when things are going well for us, when we feel successful, we don't feel the need for the person who made us successful in the first place. You begin to forget about the person who brought you from where you were to where you are. You forget about the person who brought you from darkness into his marvelous light. You forget about the person who gave you his favor when you did not deserve it, but he gave it to you anyway at the cross of Jesus. You forget about him when things are good. But then when the chips are down, oh, we see this throughout Judges. Every time the chicks are down for Israel, that's when, they start, that's when they start crying out to God. That's when they start going, Oh God, it's so bad. Right? But during times of peace, is actually some of the times where you might need God the most. Did you, if you've ever read any of the Old Testament prophets, you know this, that many times the prophets spoke to Israel at a time when things are actually going pretty well. In fact, Jeremiah Jeremiah 8.11 says, they have, this, was God's, this was God speaking against those who are saying everything's good Jeremiah is prophesying and he's saying God wants you to turn from your sin God wants you to treat the widow and the fatherless and the, and the foreigner with dignity and respect and you're not doing that and then uh, all the other prophets in Israel at the time are going dude it's good it's good everything's fine our economy is doing well like you know the, the Israelite dollar is going up so just, just leave it alone and he's like no And God says through Jeremiah, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Because God looks at our lives sometimes, when you think things are going well, there could be something really ugly going on in your life, but you're just kind of putting it on the shelf, going, I'll deal with that sin issue later, or I'll deal with that relationship later, or I'll figure out my finances later, or I'll I'll figure out actually what I'm doing later. When God's like, no, I want to work on that thing right now, you just don't feel it. I actually do want to work on that thing. See, in Ezekiel, there's another Old Testament prophet. He actually spoke, he he also spoke to this issue, and he said, God says through Ezekiel, my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. Precisely because they have misled my people, saying peace when there is no peace, and because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. See, peaceful times can sometimes be the most deceptive. Peaceful times can be the times when we're like, oh, well, I don't need, I don't need the good shepherd to lead me. I don't need community. I don't need to talk to anybody about what's going on in my life because I don't feel depressed right now when I feel depressed, then I will get help. Because we often operate as if the way we're supposed to live our Christian life is you wait until you feel like you need help, right? And then you go get it. When God says no, i that's why it says in Psalms that he is an ever-present help in time of need. He is always present and the reason he's always present is because he always needs to be present. You need help, I need help. Way more than I or you are willing to admit. So we need God's leadership even in peaceful times because that can be the time that is most deceptive. All three of these judges arose during peaceful times. There's no record of any warfare. There's no record of any violence that happened during their their rule. But God still needed to raise up judges because why? Because there's all kinds of things happening. There's, There's decisions that need to be made. There's disputes that have to be settled. There's legal cases that have to be looked at. And so these judges are the people that people need to bring their needs to. God understands this, and so He's He's like, we need you need leadership even in peaceful times. We need leadership in peaceful times. Many times when it comes to lead, when it comes to um, uh, leaders, and especially like in church life, for many of us who are Christians, we're like, also, you know what? I will become part of a local church, or I will I will submit to the leadership of a church when I feel like I need to. But right now, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need anybody in my life. I'm good. I got my Zoom meeting every week with so-and-so and I've got my class and I've got my, you, you've got like a few different things around you and so you say I'm good. But the moment that you start saying you're good, you need to consider are you really good? Because God, work it may be asking you some questions that you're not willing to address during a time of peace in your life. Second thing it, that we can see in this is that we need leaders from different tribes. We need leaders from different tribes. So, um, the uh, the Yale Bible Dictionary basically says, or says this: the Book of Judges appears to be structured, in, at least in part, by the idea that each of the tribes had, at one time or another, produced a leader who judged Israel. Whereas Elon of Zebulun comes next, Ibzan was possibly regarded as a leader who came out of Asher. Now you're like, what? What's the what's the big deal about that? You need to remember that the uh, nation of Israel was divided into twelve tribes. Okay, they were all descend- There was these twelve brothers, and all the nation of Israel is descended from them. And so each of the judges actually comes from a different tribe. So Ehud was a Benjaminite. Gideon was from Manasseh. Jephthah was from Gilead. But what's interesting is like actually just before this, we read the tail end of Jephthah's life, and we learn about a civil war that broke out between Gilead, where Jephthah was from, and those were the tribes on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan River. There was a war that broke out between them and Ephraim on the western side of the river, and thousands of people died because of tribalism. They were so fiercely uh, defensive of themselves that they were not willing to work together with other people who also belong to God in order to get the kingdom ready for the king to arrive. Hello? How many times? Uh, 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 tribalism is some, one of the things that can, that can kill God's kingdom work. So many times, and we need multiple voices. It was interesting because for me, I grew up, I don't, know, I don't know what your church background is like. I grew up charismatic Christian. Okay, what that means is we were swinging from the chandeliers, everybody speaking in tongues and rolling around and frothing at the mouth and, like, jumping up and down and stuff. And, like, some of you guys like, that sounds terrifying. And nobody was frothing at the mouth. I'm kidding. That guy was having a seizure, we found out later. But, uh... It's a joke because nobody had a seizure. Um, but in my church, it was pretty, it was, it was very exciting. So when kids told me, like, other kids, like, I don't like going to church. Church is boring. I'm like, what church do you go to? Because in our church, let me tell you, church is rocking. Like, there's, we got rock and roll worship. We got... We got preachers who are like passionate. We got people who are getting slain in the spirit, who are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit firsthand. And later on, of course, I was like, you know, I realized some of that was weird. People were just looking for an excuse to be weird. But also, but some of it was legit. Like God was really moving. However, I kind of grew up in this idea that like, well, that's what church is supposed to be, right? And and there's no other way around it. And then I went to seminary. (laughs) So um, I went to Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. Shout out to Western Seminary. And um, they, one of the things that, I, that really opened my eyes was that I got to meet with, um, with uh, mostly dudes from other churches that were completely different from me. So it was like, I, one guy's like, I was raised free evangelical. Another guy's like, I was reformed Baptist. Another guy's like, I, I'm Anglican. Another dude was like, I, I was raised Catholic, but now I'm yeah. And so like all these different traditions and you realize we all worship the same God We all serve the same Jesus, and yet all of us have like these totally different methodologies of how we come about it. But there's something beautiful about the diversity of that. Each of these judges was from a different tribe in Israel. It's like God was like, no, it's not just one tribe who's going to take the lead. Even though God knows that his son is going to be descended from Judah, and eventually, and the king, the line of kings is going to come from Judah, at this time he's like, no, this is a shared effort. I want you all to work together. And too many times we will, we will dump on a church or we will leave a church or we will depart from it because we have a big problem with fill in the blank when really God is asking you to reach out with an open hand and go, try something new for a change. You know, I've, I've found like, I've, like lately I've been thinking, like some of you guys are like, oh no, he's getting religious on us. But I'm, I'm going to say it anyway. Like I've thought, been thinking about things like, I, my background, we did not value tradition very much. But there's a part of me that would really love to have some prayer beads like Catholics have just to have something to physically touch and to think on on Christ as I'm praying to him so that I can have a little bit more focus in my life. There's something about me, like, that is something that's traditional that I would not have ever accessed, but it's something that came from a different branch of the church where I go, man, that actually could, is something that could draw me closer to God. You might be able to learn something from somebody who's from a different denomination. (laughs) Whoa. Like, right? Amen. some I mean, some of y'all grew up Baptist, right? So it's like Father, Son, Holy Bible, and you're not even sure if the Holy Spirit's a thing. Some of you grew up like me, charismatic, where you're like, we worship the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God and all that. Yeah, Jesus died for my sin and stuff, but really, I just want to be healed and I want my miracle, you know? Some of you guys are, are somewhere in between. You're like, I just grew up straight laced like this, and church. I just grew up. I grew up Methodist, and so it's very strict. And so I grew up Catholic, and we had to do it this way. I grew up, uh, you know, Episcopalian, and we did it this way. And we just had. It was not fun because you had to like and maybe you're, you're used to standing up and sitting down. You know, I don't know what your church background is, but God makes it clear we need leaders from different tribes. And this time, I believe. I firmly believe this. Just, I believe this in my spirit. I think this is is a prophetic statement. The church has to come together if we're actually going to accomplish the mission that God has given us. Amen. If we're actually going to make a difference in the world, there are some differences that are just petty. They're just petty. This church doesn't do long, worship long enough. Give me a break, you know. Like oh. Look. This, and most of the time, we quit. when we leave a church body, it's because of something lame. We're just like, oh, the music wasn't very good, or the pastor was boring, or they didn't have, like for, for like, me as a young father, it's like, oh, they didn't have good kids' ministry and stuff. It's like, give me a break. Did God call you there or not? Just go. Figure it out. Get over your differences. Because God called you to that place so that you can be, so that you can drink deeply of his word, so that you can get connected with the saints, so that you can grow, and it's not going to happen apart from that. So each of these men were from different tribes and each led at least somewhat admirably. We don't, see, we don't really hear anything terrible about them, but this is the third point. We also need to recognize that no leader is perfect. In the work that God has given us to do, you are going to be led by people. like As the college ministry director, I'll be the first to tell you, I am not a perfect person. I know, that blows your mind. I know, right, yeah, Sam? Really? You are so perfect. no. No, no, uh, that is so not true. God is working on me. God is changing me. God has been highlighting areas of sin in my life like you wouldn't believe. God is like, sh- like there's so much stuff that I have to work on as a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a person, right? As an employee, like I have stuff that I have to work on. There are things that I have, that I have done and continue to do wrong that I have to repent of. Now, how did I pick this up from this? Well, look at this. It says clearly, it, did you, one of the first things you might have noticed in this passage, where it says that, it says, uh, "Ibzan of Israel, Bethlehem judged Israel. Like, oh, Bethlehem, that's Christmas. Yay. Um, v- verse 9, he had 30 sons and 30 daughters he gave in marriage outside his clan, and 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons. So it sounds like he had 30, 30 sons and 30 daughters. That's 60 kids. I'm telling you right now, I, I, I'm, I'm, I know the Bible has miracles in it, But I can almost guarantee that was not one woman who gave birth to like 60 children. That is just not possible because children don't grow that fast. Even Jesus grew, as far as I know, at a normal rate when he was in Mary's womb. So there's no way that he gave birth, that one woman gave birth to 60 children, which means he was in a polygamous relationship or several polygamous relationships. Same thing, skip, skipping down to uh, uh, verse 14, it says, Abdon the son of Elil the Parathenite, judged Israel. So Abdon also had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. Um, and so what's interesting about this, <laughs> we have these judges who have big time problems with understanding what marriage is supposed to look like. Right? You got polygamous. And uh, they cle- so Ibsan and Abdon at least, clearly practice polygamy, which, is, uh, which we learn later is forbidden in the New Testament. Now, why it, later on in the New Testament, in Ephesians 5, 31 through 34, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And then uh, 1 Timothy 3.2, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore an overseer, he's talking about those who lead in the church, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So what we learn here is that these guys didn't actually get the blueprint of like, God's like, hey, remember back in the garden when I created Adam and Eve? You notice that I didn't make like Adam and Eve and, and, and Amy and Abigail and you know, like I didn't make like a bunch of different people, I just made one woman and one man and that's actually the blueprint that I want. And anytime you read about polygamy in the Old Testament, it never turns out well. Like the, one of the most popular ones, of course, like one of the first most notable ones is Jacob, and when he gets a wife, and then he's not happy with her because he thinks that she's ugly. So because he wanted her sister, but her his father-in-law tricked him, and it was this horrible mess, super messed up, puts the fun and dysfunctional kind of family. Um, in in this story, though, what we learn is that these these judges are polygamous. They were not perfect. But they led Israel through a period of peace. And that was, and this is like a, a little breather that we get. Because pretty soon, in the next few chapters, Israel is going to get back into it again. There's going to be more conquest. There's going to be more bloodshed. There's going to be more difficulty for Israel. And it came after a period of peace. But God was raising up these leaders. And, we, and God was raising up these judges so that Israel could still be guided, even when things seemed to be going well. So he's saying, and then we also know that Ibzan, he married off his his daughters to people outside of his tribe. Now, there's nothing wrong with that according to Mosaic law, according to Jewish law. However, what he was practicing was something that pagan cultures practice, which is you give your daughter in marriage to somebody who, who you want to be allied with. So that way this marriage kind of seals the deal. And so he's using women as a, like using women, using his daughters uh, as kind of like objects to secure a deal rather than treating them as human beings, you know. And I'm not saying it's like, oh, it's got to be all about love. But what I am saying is that um, he's using his daughters in a way that the rest of pagan culture did. And so we have these judges who are imperfect. And guess what? The world is full of imperfect leaders. The spirit, and, and I would love to tell you that whatever church you end up being a part of is gonna have a perfect leader, a pastor with a perfect record, who's gonna, ha- who's, who's gonna be like, you know, and, and we see it all the time. We see images uh, of pastors who have everything right, who seem to have everything right, and they're shredded, and they're on Instagram, and they have the coolest posts, and they have like great quips and sayings that you can say, you know, like, man, this person is so great. But then it always destroys people when you see them fall from grace because we put so much pressure on them and turn them into celebrities. And then when, we, like, then when they fail, we go, what happened? Well, it turns out they were a sinner like you. Shocker, right? We put too much weight on people. We put too, mu- too much weight on leaders. Ultimately, these judges were only here because there is one perfect judge. And his name is Jesus. It says in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, that he will come to judge the living and the dead. And you're like, I don't like the sound of judgmentalism. You got to pull back for a second. Judging means determining what is right and wrong. If the person who is determining what right and wrong is invented right and wrong, like he understands that he invented that definition, then he alone is able to determine what's truly right and what's truly wrong. Furthermore, he is able to punish not with cruelty, but with justice. And to say, this is the co- proper consequence for this. And this is the proper consequence for this. As human beings, we tend to give people more than they deserve. But not God. God is not like that. See, at the end of the day, these judges, these three, as insignificant as they may seem, I think there's actually a, a great deal of significance. Because God was raising up judges during a period of peace. God wants to work on you right now. You might be in a period of peace, but God wants to Can I tell you something? God wants to work on you right now. Because you have no idea what's coming down the pipe of life. But when it hits you, what are you going to be rooted in? Not only that, but these, these judges also um, came from different backgrounds, different tribes in Israel. What other people do you learn from? Do you only learn from people in your circle? Do you only listen to podcasts from your denomination or from, from the people that you really like? Do you, do you only listen to, to teaching from a certain circle of people and you never branch out? Also, and then also, do you what do you expect of leaders? Because I think a lot of times when it comes to how we function as Christians, we expect a lot of leaders and we talk a lot about leadership and what it means to be a leader and leader, 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 leader. When Jesus said that he came to serve. In fact, it says that he said he came to be the servant of all. So he, he told his disciples, I know that those people out there in the world, they say that you, that you he said, you know that those who are rulers of the Gentiles, lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be a, a servant of all, and whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For the son of, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." Jesus is the perfect judge. You know why? Because he made himself small on our account. And he experienced the judgment that we deserve. He experienced the judgment that your sin deserves. He took that upon himself. And until that grips you, you're always going to look at leaders unrealistically. And you're also going to look even at the idea of God being a judge as something that's negative, when actually it's the most beautiful thing in the world. I don't want anybody... I know, I, I know this, maybe this is bad, but I'm going to quote Tupac here. Only God can judge me. right? Like, I would, like Because of Jesus, I'm okay with that saying. But can I tell you something? If you don't have Jesus, like, if, like, and I kind of doubt that Tupac did, if Tupac actually knew what he was saying when he said only God can judge me, he would have been terrified because it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But when you're safe in the arms of Jesus, the ultimate leader who came to serve you, and it makes a lot more sense. So, um, amen? We good? good. Okay, so let's get, into, let's get into our questions tonight. The first one is, what was confusing about this week's reading? Number two, where do you see the gospel in this week's reading? And yes, you can pick from the verses that came before this as well. Now, here's the third question. Uh, and I didn't really touch on this a whole lot because I want to discuss it, really. How has the church both understood and misunderstood leadership? And how have you seen that in your life? How has the church both understood and misunderstood leadership? And how have you seen that in your life? Good? Let's go ahead and split up into our regroups. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Regenerate Podcast. And if you enjoyed our content, please feel free to subscribe. If you have any questions or would like to send us feedback, send us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Regenerate, changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.